so you can grow yourself and grow your marriage. Chris and Jonna here with the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. This is... Another episode about parenting. <laughs> Another episode. I actually know what episode is. It's number 92. All right. So I actually know today. <laughs> okay, so we got this one right. Good. All right, well, who do we have on the podcast today, Jonna? Okay, so today we talked to Danielle Murphy-Ferris. Danielle is a educator, a coach, a mentor. She's got degrees in all kinds of things, early childhood development, holistic education, contemplative psychology. Um, she's a board certified holistic nutrition educator. I mean, she's just, girl has got some letters after her name. Yeah, Danielle was a really impressive young woman. She she and me and Jonna had a really good conversation. She was able to answer a lot of our questions. And I think what was most interesting for me was I interpreted the beginning of the interview one way and the episode ended in another. Yeah, I definitely would agree. So we, we've talked about gentle parenting before, and then we're going through, if you're listening to our book club series, we're talking about uh, biblical parenting, which a lot of would probably fall under that gentle parenting category. Danielle specifically talked to us about respectful parenting, and there is a difference, and it is very different. Um, there's parts that just kind of, I don't know, that we never thought about before. So yes, listen to the whole thing. Listen to when Chris's light bulb goes off. And I think <laughs> right. mine too. Yeah. Um. And yeah. All right, guys. Well, without further ado, Danielle. Danielle, welcome to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with your audience and get to know you a little better and share this topic that I'm super passionate about. Yeah, Danielle, we're super excited to have you as well. I'm pretty, I'm trying to remember, we came across each other in a podcast group. Is that correct? I think so on Facebook. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm always in those groups scouring. I feel bad. I like piggyback off of other people's <laughs> posts like, Ooh, that looks like that would be a good guest. So I know we connected yeah. somehow on that. And That's I'm really excited to talk and podcasts in there. Sorry, but I love reading yeah. about other people's posts in there. Yeah. Oh, me too. It's kind of amazing the things that people can podcast about, actually. Yeah. I've, I've come across some interesting topics. Um, so Chris and I on our show lately have been talking a lot about parenting. We're not a parenting podcast, but we have four kids, five and under. And so we are parents who are trying to learn and do better. Uh -huh. uh, we recently talked to a gentle parenting coach, and now we're excited to talk to you. Now, are you... Do you consider yourself a respectful parenting coach or what is your actual coaching title? Yes. So my actual coaching title is parent child educator, but my background, my trainings and my experience weave in respectful parenting. So it can be categorized as that. So tell us a little more about that. When I'm reading through your bio, I'm like, whoa, this girl has got a lot of education in this realm. You've got all these different titles. You're the creator of the HAP method. Can you just mm -hmm. tell us about, just tell us a little bit about AKA you. Nerd out with us. Yeah, Let's nerd, go, nerd out with us and tell us about you. 
Yeah. So a little bit about myself um, and my background, my education, like you were mentioning, it's pretty extensive, but I love this topic, like I mentioned. So I love learning and I'm a student at heart, really. Um, I'm a parent-child educator and also an infant advocate. I've been working in the field with children for over 17 years. I began working in childcare centers when I was in college, and I was studying child development in the early 2000s. I then took my studies to a more specialized direction and began following Rudolf Steiner's philosophy, which you, I think you mentioned, Johnny, you've heard of the Waldorf education. That was when I was completing my bachelor's in psychology, and I was living in Boulder, Colorado. So I loved the schools I was working in. I loved the way that it felt in the classroom with the children. But at that time, I still wasn't clear on my ideal role in that realm. I knew I wanted to be part of that in some way, but I wasn't sure exactly what that looked like. And that didn't become clear to me until I graduated with my master's in holistic education. And I began studying Magda Gerber's educaring approach. Have you heard of the Rye Method? No, uh-uh. I don't think so. Yeah, so that's um, where that respectful piece really comes into play. So I began intensive RIE training courses on the road to becoming a RIE associate. And that's when I really realized my true calling was actually working with the parents of the young children versus just mm. the children themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, that's, yeah. dang it, I did it again. Didn't yeah, I? no, yeah, yeah, no. That's so you, a Midwest thing. So, so Danielle, where, where are you from? I'm from California. Okay, so you're from California. I don't know if you know it or not, but us Midwesterners, what we do is we say, yeah, no, yeah. So it makes you, no sense. <laughs> it, there's zero logic, but uh, that is that's how we communicate here. So if you see me or, or, well, if you hear me say, yeah, no, yeah, just know I mean, yeah. Because I said it first. Okay. Maybe I'll pick it up and I'll start saying it. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I would not actually, but it's all good. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, Danielle. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any kids? What's, uh, what's, what's your background in regards to family, kids, all that? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a mother. I have a three and a half year old son. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter, a sister, a friend. My sister actually is 10 and a half years younger than me. So I think that's really when my love of taking care of and being interested in early childhood and infancy and child development was born because I was in the room when my sister was born and I was, you know, old enough to be able to remember and participate. And I was just fascinated by watching her grow and learn and develop um, as an 11-year-old child. So I I definitely had a big part in my family um, and it definitely shaped this path that I've chosen for my career. Love that. So I want to just, I I feel like anybody who listened to us recently and heard our gentle parenting episode Mm -hmm. might be wondering if there's a difference in gentle parenting and respectful parenting. And I know I talked to you a little bit about it when we were Mm -hmm. emailing back and forth. And I just want to know, is there a difference and could you tell our listeners what that looks like if you compare the two. Yes, definitely. So I think gentle parenting is great. And I'm all for really any type of conscious parenting, whether it's, you know, positive parenting, gentle parenting, peaceful parenting, there's simplicity parenting, there's so many different um, catchphrases around parenting right now, especially in the online community. So 
all forms of mindful parenting, I feel like, are amazing and beneficial and wonderful. And a lot of them can blend really nicely together. Respectful parenting is unique in that it is possible to practice gentle parenting without the element of respectful parenting in place. So there's a lot of, you know, positive, gentle ways of interacting with our child, raising them, teaching them, communicating with them that may um, unintentionally uh, discount that respect, which is the piece of the Rye approach that is my training and my background that, um, you know, no parent is intentionally trying to disrespect their child or their baby or their infant, but there's these subtleties in the way that we care for them that actually um, undermine that respectful piece in some way. Yeah. So that's really what my role is, is to bring light to that and kind of show and share examples and um, let parents see their parenting through that lens. Yeah, I like that. So so can you give us some examples of of the difference when it comes to maybe maybe even some some real life examples with with you and you said three and a half year old, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Sure. Between the gentle parenting and the respectful parenting. Right. Yeah. So so one example would be let's say your you know nine ten month old child is playing and you want to change their diaper. So there's kind of the more standard American way, you know, you just, you know, scoop them up, like you stink, you know, take them to the changing table, like, let's get this stinky mess off of you. And like, you're back to your playing, you know, maybe you're busy, you're hurried, you know, you, you think the poop is gross. And so you want to get it done and get them back to the activity they enjoy, which is uh, playing, right. And so that's kind of the standard American approach. And then you have the, the gentle parenting approach, you know, which is more, oh, you know, I see that, you know, you pooped and you need a new diaper. Like, let's go change you. And, you know, you pick them up and take them over and like, it's okay. Like, here's here's a little, um, you know, toy ducky to squeak. And like, here's a little song. Like, Mary had a little lamb. Like, okay, we're done. Like, now you can go back to your plane. It's very gentle. You know, it's very kind. And, and of course, it's it's wonderful. And then there's the respectful parenting approach, which is, You notice the child has soiled their diaper, right? But you also take into account the larger picture, which is the child is focused on something right now. Maybe they just discovered the way the light is shining through the window, or maybe they're, you know, working with two objects, practicing, you know, what they sound like together, what they sound like against the hard floor, you know, banging two objects on, um, on a wood surface or a metal surface and learning about density and qualities. And you take a second to see, you know, if the child is sitting in their poopy diaper for two, three, five, ten 10 extra minutes, it's not the end of the world because there's a larger picture at play. And that's the child's attention span and their focus and their right to, you know, have these experiences and have time to learn and explore on their own. So you kind of survey the scene before, attempting to, you know, get in there and do something and take care of them and manipulate them in some way. And then when you can catch uh, a break in their attention span, it takes a skill that we call uh, sensitive observation. When you can catch a break in maybe their gaze or their focus, or they look at you and that indicates that they're ready, you know, for something else, that would be a good time to interject and say, you know, it looks like you need a new diaper 
are you ready to go to the diaper changing station? And then at that point, instead of scooping them up, you would offer your hands. And I know this is audio recording, you can't see me, but you would put your hands out in a way to let the child's um, muscle tensity, um, muscle tension, and their breath pattern and their engagement indicate that they are ready to be picked up. So it does take a little bit of um, more time and focus and attention until you can see that, yeah, they're they're ready for me to scoop them up right now. Young children especially are sensitive to changes in gravity when they're going from the floor to lifted up high, when they're going from a solid surface to being in our arms. They have to adjust their equilibrium and their muscles according to those changes. So when we're putting them through these motions of diaper changes and playing in uh, high chairs quickly throughout their day, it's really stressful on their body. So giving them a little bit of time and space to acclimate to the change that's about to happen to their body before bringing them to the diaper changing station is one of the important pieces of it. So as you can see, um, it goes into more detail in each one of the steps of changing the diaper, returning them to their play. But as you can see, it's a lot more thoughtfulness and big picture thinking put into all aspects of our caregiving with the child. I'm going to give you a scenario, Daniel. Okay. Right? I, I just knew. So, I, I could almost probably so say John what I know Chris is going to say right me now. About to do this. Okay. So we have like a bazillion kids and probably <laughs> counting, mm-hmm. knowing just the way our life works. Um, Four, to be specific, at, at the moment here, it's 2021, yeah. the beginning. Uh, so here's here's your scenario, right? Uh, uh-huh. I, I can certainly appreciate being receptive to what's happening with your kid. Uh, let's uh-huh. say we are trying to change a, let, let's say our, our youngest ledger, who is seven months old. Let's say uh-huh. that he... Six months old, John? He's what? almost. I mean, okay, you're close. Sorry. Whatever. Okay. All right. So, so the ledger's seven months old and he has a dirty diaper, right? Then okay. we have our other two. Uh, uh-huh. One is climbing in the fridge, pulling fruit out. It's falling all over the floor. The other uh-huh. one is um, the other one is trying to yell over the sound of the TV and get mom's attention. Uh, and the other one is drawing on the couch. Uh, so in, in this scenario, I promise they're how, not terribly uh, behaved like this. All, but I mean, in this, this but these things do happen. So in this uh-huh. scenario, how would we respectfully change Ledger's diaper and be able uh-huh. to stay conscious of all of those things you just mentioned, which are great, um, but it, just a, a situational challenge there for you. Yeah, I think this is a great question because lots of families that I work with, they do have multiples, right? And this is another opportunity where you can take a breath and a step back and and know that changing the diaper is not an emergency, right? So it does need to happen and you're going to orient your next action steps with the rest of the children with that goal in mind. But it's not a time to have, you know, heightened emotions and anxiety and, you know, raise the stress level in the household overall because there's a poopy diaper at, at hand, right? So this is a chance when you can tell your um, youngest, Ledger, is his name, right? I know you have a dirty diaper and we're going to get ready to change you now and then check in with the other kids. Let them know, you know, I'm going to be changing Ledger's diaper. Either maybe they can offer to help or maybe you have practices in place where 
your kids are comfortable with, um, you know, independent play, solitary play, like with each other or um, an opportunity for them to either participate so they can, you know, watch and learn in, you know, a safe and clean way, of course, or an opportunity to let them know I'm not going to be available for the next five to 10 minutes because I'm going to be doing this. So you kind of have some systems in place where they can either join you and they can see that respect and that time and that attention given um, and you're modeling it for them, right? So that they'll be able to have the same respect and intention and um, care given when, you know, either they have children or when they're taking care of their siblings um, or just with friends. It's a great opportunity for older children to really see these respectful practices in at play, um, or if that's not something that they're interested in that day, or in general with their personality, they know mom's not going. Mom or dad is not going to be here for the next few minutes. So these are some you know options I have at that time. Does that kind of help? That does. That does make sense. So essentially, okay. it's prioritization, uh, and then uh, and then expectation given to the kids. Well, so what I what I feel from that is. I definitely see where we put this high stress priority on mm-hmm. things like that because we have four kids and we work from home uh-huh. and we run two podcasts and all these things. Uh-huh. Our days, our days move very fast. Uh-huh. So I, I like the idea of trying to step back and be more present and mindful uh-huh. of the kids and what's going on because uh-huh. at the end of the day, yes, I agree the diaper getting changed right now or in two minutes is not going Mm -hmm. to make a big difference. But I did think about, so our third child is two and she is very stubborn. And so I was thinking through the idea of you, like, so we put her down for a nap right before this. And she knows after lunch is her nap time. She knows Uh to expect it. Most days she's pretty good about it, but Uh some days she wants to put up a fight. So we have, we have things to do. So we have to move her along even when she's Uh not ready. And I'm thinking about her Uh in the middle of something and trying to be respectful and saying when you're ready, but if she's never ready, how do Uh I, how, how do you still be respectful? Because it it can get very frustrating in that moment when you have things to do and they are on the same time frame. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just, you know, this approach, just like anything in life, you know, your diet or your finances or not going to be a hundred percent all the time. And that's of course expected and that's real life. And, you know, you can have the 80, 20 rule or 90, 10 or whatever feels right for you. But as long as there are consistent and frequent times throughout her week or a month where you do have the opportunity to give each one of your children that slow, respectful, connected interaction, and you're connecting with them in a way that's at their pace and that does feel authentic to you, um, that's going to really be what we're talking about here. And then in those other times where you do have, you know, a meeting or you have something and you have to go fast, it's okay to say, you know, normally we take our time with diaper changes, but today we have to go quickly and and just let them know. Even, you know, a three month old, I would say that too. Like normally we have more time, but right now we don't. And so we, we have to move more quickly than we normally do with this diaper change and just get into the practice of being, you know, honest and authentic and using these communication skills with your child um, to let them know, you know, this, this is what's going on. And even if they don't understand 
the words that you're saying, if they're, you know, that young, then they'll still be able to understand, you know, your intention to communicate with them. And that will stick with them as, as they grow. And you'll get into the practice of just letting them know, you know, normally we have time for this, but today it's going to be this way. Totally on board with that. I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with Expectation. that. Expectations. Yes. They need that because Expectations I... Expectations are important. So like I said earlier, we have been trying to learn more and grow more in our parenting because we have had this epiphany that we can't just take what how we were parented and bring it together and uh-huh. expect that to work in 2021. Yeah. Life and parenting are very yeah. different. Circumstances yeah. are very different. So uh, wait, wait, where was I going with that? No, hold on. We'll it's see. Com- it's coming we'll back to out. me. Come on. Stop. So, oh, it was it was a really was hold it on. So good? Just hold on. Was it the best point you've ever made? It was made the best on point podcast? I've ever made. Okay, we'll wait. Stop. Hold on for just one second. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm not editing this. It out. literally flew. It just absolutely went straight out the window. So we're focusing on our parenting. I said that. Mindful. Oh, oh, it's coming back. Stop, dude. You're making it harder. Okay. I'm thinking, fine. I'm just going to shift gears and maybe I'll come back. I am thinking about the person though, who's never heard of this, or maybe who doesn't even realize yet that this is important for us to start researching to find what works best for us and our children. And maybe they come from where a lot of us came from of the, of the parenting of, because I said so, because I'm the adult, we're on my time, you know, oh, that's where I was going. Chris and I have really been trying to remember and recognize that our kids are human beings, not mm-hmm. little programmable uh, robots. Mm-hmm. So we're much more open to these ideas that quite frankly, in the past, Chris especially would have. Oh yeah. I would have been like, come on. Well, no. so that's what I want you to speak to actually, Danielle. I want you I to did. speak to former Chris who would have been like snowflake parenting. That's what he would have called it before right. this. So I hope that isn't insulting. He Sorry. doesn't mean that now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he would have said in the past is, uh-huh. no, I'm the parent. We're creating little people that are just going to walk on us. Can you speak to that listener who is is really caught off guard by this type of um, gentle, respectful approach yeah. if they come from? Yeah. The other? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So the way, you know, I like to start sharing this type of approach with people is really to think about what is the bigger picture of our parenting? And I know I used that phrase before, but is it just, you know, to have our kids obedient and good listeners and compliant for this 18 years and then like we're done with that one? Or is there a bigger picture? Like who is the human being that we are trying to raise and what qualities do we want to instill in them? Is it innovation? Is it creativity? Is it, you know you know, out of the box thinking, you know, is it cooperation among siblings? Is it, you know, being, you know, caring towards all beings? What is it for our family? What values are we hoping to raise our children with? So using that as your starting base and the values will vary per family, which is beautiful. And and that's wonderful. Not, I'm not telling you what your values should be or that two families should have the same values. You know, you'll come up with that together. Um, for your family, but then thinking of how you can model that, how you can be that in not only the way that you act towards the children, also the way that you act with one another. And it's not only about, um, where was I going with that? Not only about um, modeling it, but about uh, them experiencing it in the relationship. So for example, with 
going back to those young infants, our hands and the way we touch are children's first experience of our love. So they don't understand our words yet. We might say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But the quality in which we hold them, the way that we pick them up, if it's abrupt, if it startles them, if it's harsh, if our hands are rough, this is all messages to the young infant. Their senses are so primed to take everything in, especially touch in the very beginning. So the way that we approach them, let them know, you know, I'm warming up my hands. Is it okay if I pick you up now, reaching your palms out? Again, I know you can't see me, but letting the, the child see your hands and letting them know your intention is to touch them, making sure that you have, you know, good eye contact and that they're not startled by your touch. That That's just an example of the way that the quality of our being with our children is going to impact the way that they experience love into the future. So that's the way that we touch our, our infants. That's actually shaping the, the quality and values that they will bring to a romantic relationship much later on as adults. So it, it really has a lot bigger picture that I like to kind of paint for for parents than just getting them, you know, to brush their teeth and get to bed by this time every night. Um, there's, mm. there's a little more under the surface. Does that yeah. Can I explain? No, of course. Dang it. Yeah, no. Yeah, yes, no, yeah. That, that does make sense. And I I want to touch on the piece of that where you were talking about kind of asking them if you could pick them up. So I half agree mm-hmm. with you, obviously being the okay. parenting expert I am, right? But <laughs> I, I half agree with you. Okay. I feel like my, my initial thought is as parents – Uh Our kids should have so much trust in us that we shouldn't Uh have to ask them to pick them Uh up. Um, Obviously, if they are at a certain age, there's probably some some boundaries there. But young, I think we should develop a sense of trust with our kids where they already know. Um, But with other people, including Uh family, aunts, uncles, all those people. Sorry, my phone's going off. Um, But so with people in the extended family and people on the outside of the family, close friends, Mm -hmm. people like that. um, I wouldn't have a problem with our kids getting used to being asked because a lot of weird stuff happens. Wait, I'm actually just going to push back on you then. Then if, because remember she's, she's, she's the one who has the degrees here. Correct. So I think that with this approach and you obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but with that approach, I think we're training them to, to under to expect consent to be given or to expect somebody to ask before they do like we're mm-hmm. training them to that mm-hmm. you know do you know what i mean is that um, yeah, so help me yeah. out so, uh, you're i think john what you're saying is by us asking them at a young age as the parents then we're training them to expect that from other relatives in the family is that what yeah. you're saying Okay. Yeah, yeah yeah is that kind of the way to prime them for that being the appropriate way or um you know, push back on Chris. So, yeah, so kind of what Chris you is can saying. Push back um, on me. I like your point about. Go ahead. Oh no, well, this is sorry. kind of to to support your point. <laughs> go ahead. Did you uh, have something else? I think I think we had a glitch there or something. But oh, okay. uh, well, what I was what I was going to say super quick is, I feel like when when uh, when family like really really close family like us is around and our kids really know who they are, uh, uh-huh. then it should kind of be like a, a trust thing. But uh-huh. I do feel like, 
you know, when distant relatives come in from out of town and, and people you just met and stuff like that want to, you know, poke and touch our kids and stuff like that. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't love that. Yeah. So two points about that. One, how you're saying, you know, as parents, they should trust us to be able to pick them up. And I think that you can build that trust really quickly by letting them know what you're doing in the beginning as infants. And if it doesn't feel authentic to you to say, can I pick you up now and wait with your hands open? You could just show your hands and say, I'm going to pick you up now and maybe just let them know what you're going to do. And I think that that trust for them to know that you're going to pick them up in a respectful way will come quickly after, you know, a few repetitions of that. Does that make sense as as far as that? That does make sense. And actually I was visualizing what I do with, with our kids and Uh truthfully, I think I subconsciously have already agreed with your point because I <laughs> don't ever just pick them up no, I think yeah. unless, I'm, like unless I'm playing with like, them. Usually I'll hold my hands out and just give them uh-huh. a look like, Hey, I love you. Yeah. Come, come here. Uh, yeah. I don't say it because uh-huh. I don't know. I, I just don't, but yeah. I think you're right. I, I naturally do that because I'm not, I'm not a very, uh, I'm not a very like aggressive. I don't know if invasive is the word uh-huh. uh, person. Yeah. And, you know, that'll that'll be different if you don't feel it's authentic for you to say those words like you were just mentioning the eye contact. And, you know, as you get to know each other, this new human before you, um, they'll get they'll get to know that, oh, those hands that look, that means dad wants to pick me up. And and so they'll, um, you know, respond to that. And you'll be able to, of course, read their body language and their eye contact to know that it's appropriate. Right. But you would be surprised the amount of not only parents, but caregivers in large group care who, you know, are just coming up behind children, wiping their noses or stuffing food in their mouth or taking their shirt off um, super quick over the head when they're in the middle of something and they don't even know, you know, what just happened to me? Now I'm in a different shirt and now I can't see there's a big Kleenex, you know, something like that. So um, there, there are quite a, a few abrupt things <laughs> that can happen yeah, to children. I, I 100% <laughs> agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But going, um, I didn't finish my second point about Chris's mm-hmm. question about family. Should I? Yeah. Okay. yeah um, the, the next point was, you know, when your family comes to visit you, it might be hard to say, you know, depending on your relationship with that extended family, okay, all the new family here, sit down, like, here's our rules about touching our children. But it may be more natural, more comfortable for them just to see it in, in, um, in action from you. So if the first time, you know, you, you, ask your children before you touch them is when a family member is there, they might think like, what are you doing, dad? Like, that's kind of weird, right? But if they're used to that, they're used to having that consent and that heads up before touching them, then then your family will see that that's modeled. That's how we do it in our family. It might just be a, a gentler way to ease outside perspectives or newcomers into how you expect your children to be touched by others. Does that help? That does help. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I'm going to ask you this question. So I I don't know if this is something that you would have uh, a lot of or that you've studied in the past or anything, but uh-huh. do you think you'd be able to give us some cues or signs of people who don't have great intentions around kids? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. Deep, right? <laughs> Um, this is strangers or extended family. I'm not sure. I would say, I would say, I'd say, you know, just, yes, yes, strangers, um, who like, okay. 
I'll give you an example. And we get we get pretty real and raw on, on this okay. podcast. But uh-huh. growing up, um, uh-huh. I had I, I had a family friend who was extremely uh, like goofy and fun and touchy and all uh-huh. that stuff uh-huh. um, with with pretty much all of our extended family and friends and stuff. And okay. I think my parents saw a little bit of like weirdness there uh, uh-huh. because I. Do I do remember some some conversations, uh, but then we grow up, and by the time we hit about twenty, by the time I hit about twenty years old, I found out that he was uh-huh. molesting his kids, uh, and I was uh, like, "Wow, I am not surprised at all," because uh-huh. I saw some signs, uh-huh. and so now I get super triggered uh-huh. whenever I see someone act anything close to that, because I'm like, "What are their intentions?" Yeah, interesting. Um, I can't say that I. Do you know any personality traits to watch out for as far as predators? My work is mostly focused on the relationship between the parent-child, the parent and the child. Um, And Mm -hmm. I do speak to that in regards to, you know, if they're sensing predators, if something, you know, happens to them, if they are molested or they see someone molested, I do um, work with that relationship between the parent and the child around those situations. But I can't say I don't feel I have the expertise to pinpoint any characteristics of predators. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, no, that's fine. Well, I, I always throw curveballs. At yeah, people. Chris loves to throw curveballs, but I think we can, I think we can go <laughs> off of that because something that I told you that I really want to talk about was more of this idea yeah. of consent in teaching our children mm-hmm. that they can set their own boundaries. So for example, kind of already what we've been talking about, but not forcing them to, hug somebody just because Mm -hmm. they are a parent or grandparent or a relative. Uh, I know the older generation is really offended by that because we've, Mm -hmm. we've already, even before studying this stuff, we came to that conclusion pretty early on that we're like, Hey, if they don't want to hug you, they don't Mm -hmm. have to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of a tough conversation, but how do we, I I don't know, maybe can you just explain a little bit more to the listener? Why? that's important to not make your kids show affection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, while the physical affection in the family is beautiful and it's wonderful, it's not, as you were saying, John, it's not always perceived as such by the young child and it can make them feel reluctant. It can make them feel uncomfortable and pressured when we're forcing them um, to do that or bribing them. Right. So maybe we remember growing up that, Uncle Jerry squeezed a little bit too tight or Aunt Kitty's perfume was too strong or it was embarrassing that grandma always left red lipstick on her cheeks. That's one that I remember. But now we have this opportunity as conscious, mindful parents to make some informed decisions about how we want to raise our children in regards to those things. So it is a really unique time to take a step back, look at that bigger picture like I've been talking about. So, um, yeah, and it also, I wanted to say, um, it gives our children an opportunity to build those boundaries around their own body and through that consent. So I like to break it down into three different categories. What does it mean to us as the parents to force our children to give affection to family? What does it mean for the child when they're forced to give the affection in that way? And then thirdly, how does it affect that parent-child relationship? 
So one of the most paramount practices um, of respectful parenting is the opportunity for participation, which I was mentioning to you as far as the diaper changes. So we can use that same concept of invitation and participation in the way that we present giving affection to family members, as long as we do it in a skillful and thoughtful way so that our agenda and our bias aren't being shown (laughs) through there. And that's why, number one, we look at, you know, what does that mean for us? Why is it important to us as the parents to have our children give that affection? And like Jonna was saying, you know, maybe we were raised that way. Maybe that's what um, was expected of us as children. But now it's uh, it's a time that we can we can make a different choice. So are you forcing your child to show affection because you truly believe that they should? Are you pushing them towards affection, but you have a strange feeling that maybe something isn't right? Um, are you fine if they don't show affection, but maybe you shrug it off when they are kissed or hugged or tickled by another adult without giving clear consent? Um, maybe you're on board with consent and boundaries at home, but maybe you look the other way when you're around certain family members, like you mentioned, Chris, who maybe wouldn't understand or who might get their feelings hurt if they weren't affectionate towards them. So whatever is going on for you as a parent in regards to this topic, it's just important to get clear on that, not only for you, but so you can show up authentically for your child in regards to your values and your expectations around this topic of giving consent. So I do encourage everyone to take a few minutes before trying to dissect this topic to figure out what's going on for them. It could be any combination of what I just mentioned um, or something totally different, right? But just make sure you know you know why it's important to you and or not and how you, you truly feel what's your true stance on it before trying to navigate it. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any questions about that before the second one? Okay. (laughs) No, no, that's good. I'm just kind of thinking through my own family members and the, and our own Mm -hmm. kids and just, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I think about Uh how that's a lot of the problem for, for has been for me in the past is it's uncomfortable to Uh say no, if you weren't Uh taught that that's, you know, that, that model of consent. So this is really important for me to teach our kids, And, you know, we were talking about somebody recently, um, Lola, our five-year-old gets really uncomfortable if people touch her. She doesn't want people poking at her and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so somebody, uh, one of our friends, yeah, I guess it would want to poke and that's just how they show their, Mm -hmm. their playfulness, I guess. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to figure out how do we explain to her without, do we just tell her, Hey, if somebody does that and you don't want them to, you just tell them, I, I don't want mm-hmm. you to touch me. I'm not comfortable with that. Or is there a better kind of way to teach that? Yeah. So you'll have to, you know, assess each child. I don't know how comfortable she is, you know, speaking up for herself with her personality and her age. But, you know, step one would be starting, like we talked about earlier on, just teaching her that this is, you know, how it's appropriate to touch and be touched by creating that. Um, respect and consent between you and her. But then there's also 
um, offering to advocate for her. You know, it looks like maybe you don't want to be touched that way or are you okay with this person poking you in that way? Check in with her and it, it looks like you're not or you're saying that you're not. Would you like me to help you tell them that you don't like that anymore or you want them to stop? And then, you know, that third piece, maybe now or maybe in a couple of years, you can say, you know, if you don't like that, tell them to stop and um, just give her that that uh, empowerment to take it over from there. That's yeah. good. That's helpful. Uh, I don't want to go in a completely different direction, but I, I mean, it's similar still. I just thought of while you were talking about that. What about in regard, how, how do you teach respectful parenting in regards to say the bathtub? Like I've always just tried to mm-hmm. tell them I'm washing your arms. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and I've tried to think of how to tell them why this is okay, but other people, you know, they'll try to run around our house naked sometimes. And mm-hmm. we try to discourage that, especially sometimes. Well, <laughs> they like to just drip down and run around. But when we have mm-hmm. company over, I haven't known age appropriately how to explain right. to them why that's not appropriate. Who can see you or who should touch you? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they're little, they're weird. I just, yeah. I don't know. Do you, Yeah. I mean, typically we just say, you know, only you can touch your private area and we do just name it, you know, penis, vagina. We say the word so that it's not some mystery thing like cookie or like taco or whatever. It's not helpful for children at all. So we do use correct anatomical terms Um, or, you know, mommy or daddy when they're cleaning you or if they have, you know, a babysitter or, you know, a grown up who's cleaning you something like that. Uh, you can just, you know, say it right out. But then also for you, just being being clear, you know, is it because you don't want the visitors of your house to see your children naked, you know, and then say, you know, in our house, we wear clothes when visitors are over and, and just feel strong in that I don't want other people seeing my child naked. So I'm going to have my children wear clothes when yeah. they're over, something like that. Just kind of understanding um, is that is that why you want them to wear the clothes, you know, when they're over or just being clear with each other about these are the rules for our house. We maybe don't run around with food in the kitchen because we believe in sitting down when you eat. So you don't choke, you know, whatever it is, we believe in having clothes on when outsiders come to visit our home. So that's fine. Whatever it is. Um, just kind of knowing that and just, just stating it from there. Does that answer the question? Okay. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I also want to just go back to what you said. I think there's mm-hmm. probably somebody that's listening. It's like, wait, you even teach little bitty kids? Because I know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was one of our parents. It wasn't my mom. It was, I know, was it, it my was, dad? It was your dad. Yeah, he was like, he was shocked that our two-year-old said penis. And she was saying it because they mm-hmm. have, there's, we have three girls and then our baby is a boy. So they're asking questions because he looks different mm-hmm. than they do. And that's, yeah, yeah, we think it's very yeah. important mm-hmm. to teach them the proper terminology because, right. Uh, right. well, because I, we're just hypersensitive about, about just the sick people that are out there right. and kid, you know, right. I don't, I wanted to kind of explain that because somebody could be listening like, like gasp, you, you would teach your little bitty uh-huh. child to say, because they're not yeah. dirty terms. <laughs> Right. No, the correct anatomical terms, you know, penis, vulva, those are important for safety and protection of them um, from as early as possible. So that if, 
you know, they were touched inappropriately by another child or adult, that they have the tools that they need to communicate that to you. And if it's unclear, yeah. or they maybe don't know what it's called, or maybe they saw a part of another adult and they didn't know what that part was called, and they don't know how to describe it to you. That's just putting them a step backwards from uh, where you want them to be on the level of communication and accuracy um, is in regards to those situations. That's a really good point. That's, say, that's exactly... I, it was in my head. I couldn't get it out. You said it exactly how yeah, I wanted so the listener to hear it. So that's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Go so ahead. back to point number two. Um, this is what does it mean to our children when we force them uh, to have that physical affection? So this is one of my favorite quotes, and it's from an early childhood pioneer named Bev Boss. She worked extensively with infants and toddlers. And she says, a choice is not a choice if the answer can't be no. So think mm. about this for a second. As we often present opportunities to our children to give affection disguised as a choice. For example, it's time to go. Do you want to give grandma a hug? But if we think about it, are we truly willing to accept their genuine response if they say no? Right? Is there pressure underlying uh, underlying? In that, So how many follow-ups will come if they say no and in what form? You could have control where you say, give her a hug and let's go. You could have guilt. You don't. She gave you that toy and ice cream. Come on, give her a hug. You could have bribery. Grandma might say, you can have one more chocolate if you give me a hug goodbye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that. So there's a lot of different follow-ups that will come if they say no. So That's not really a choice, right, for their body. And so the child, um, their will and their instinct and their choice for their body is instantly discounted, and it's overridden by the parent's will. Now, whether it's forcefully or by means of an appealing compromise like chocolate, you know, that's going to vary per family, but they learn that their choice was not valid and accepted. Okay, so a note for pre-verbal children who, you know, babies who can't use their words yet. Parents, like you were mentioning, Chris, we can read their body language and we'll know if they're receptive um, or interested in, you know, affection at that time. But it is really important for um, you to check in with your child versus having them just go through the motions because infants especially can easily get passed around from parent to parent and squeezed and hugged and kissed and, um you know, make sure you're taking that time to step back and read their body language and see that they're okay with it. Because if they're feeling stiffness and discontent and discomfort in their body, but they're looking at, you know, their mom or their dad, for example, who's maybe smiling and trying to take a picture of them with grandma, that um, creates an inner disharmony and a disconnect within themselves. So they're feeling stiff. They don't want to do it. But mom, who they're used to co-regulating with, is smiling like, oh, yay, we're about to visit grandma, like picture, picture. So that's creating this internal conflict um, within them. So when that happens, one of two things can occur. Number one, the child may develop a mistrust of themselves. So I'm uncomfortable, but my mom, who I trust and is always right about everything, who's my entire world, she's happy. So I must have misread the situation. I'm wrong. Okay, or number two, they can develop um, uh, uncertainty in the parent-child relationship. And this is really important that during these critical formative years, zero to five, that 
parent-child relationship is strong. That's going to set you up for success for the rest of parenting them into adulthood, right? So um, they might start to develop this underlying feeling of, you know, my mom doesn't quite get me. She doesn't quite see me. She doesn't quite understand me. She's not in sync with me and on board. So either one of those are not ideal, right? So that's um, a note about how it is for children. Uh, do you have any questions on that before I dive into the third point? That's just really good stuff. I know it's weird <laughs> it because really it's is. like nobody really tells you how to parent. And there's so much that goes into just, there's so much more than just keeping them alive. And I'm thinking about the times where we've handed the baby off, mm-hmm. even though they obviously didn't want to be handed off because we needed to do something mm-hmm. or because grandma wanted to hold the baby. Uh, yeah. how, how do we... So I guess I'm just thinking our first child did not want anybody but me ever, mm-hmm. not even dad. And so is there a is there a sense of, and I know each case is different and I'm just thinking personally, obviously, but is there a point of getting them used to, you know, their other caretaker or is it still yeah. just kind of figuring out their body language and, and no means no kind of, you know, do you mm-hmm. know what I'm yeah. I, I know yeah. it's case by case, but. Right. Yeah. It's definitely case by case, you know, each child and, you know, some child might just not feel comfortable with, you know, maybe facial hair or maybe there's the texture of dad's skin or maybe like the smell of grandma, like we talked about. So if it is important to you to build that relationship, obviously with dad or grandma, who you'll see a lot, um, just starting small with what they do feel comfortable with. Like maybe your child feels good with dad just right next to them. Maybe they really like the sound of dad's voice, you know, or maybe they really like doing this with dad or maybe they really like that. So starting small with what they do enjoy and then building from there and like, okay, now, you know, maybe we can hold hands or now maybe dad can put his hand on my belly until I'm ready for dad to hold me for a short amount of time and then longer and then longer and just kind of, you know, build it up from there. But it will kind of be different for each child. And it is, like you mentioned, John, a really important for when babies, new babies are meeting these extended family members for the first time is, you know, you know them, it's your parents and your aunt and, you know, they're important and special to you, but they're strangers to the baby. So we have to keep that in mind as far as, you know, developing authentic relationships and letting children know, you know, who is a stranger? Who are we getting to know? Who is our family? They're, they're strangers to them. They really don't know them from the next, <laughs> the next mm-hmm. person down the street. So just, you know, being aware of that and letting the introduction, you know, flow smoothly and naturally mm-hmm. and in, you know, comfortable, enjoyable way for both grandma and baby. That's so, that's so good. It just further hits the, the nail home of the idea of, they are little humans. Yes. We've just, I feel like, I don't know if it's society or the older generation or, or combination. I just feel like we've been programmed. It's pride. And yeah. pride. I feel like, yeah, yeah, I feel like we've just been so programmed that kids are just mm-hmm. property that we are supposed to make obey. And we feel rude if they don't want to want to interact mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's like, do you... Chris, you hate shallow talk. You don't want to just go up to some person you've never met and hug them and let them love all on you just because they're your great aunt. Like it's just, it shouldn't be as mind blowing as it is that these little people are humans. So let's go to the opposite extreme. Let's say, let's say that our kids have become tree huggers and we're the tree. Uh, (laughs) And we're the tree. What is, what there, there's just no other way to put it. Uh, So is that, 
is there a balance that we are creating or is it still just a level of, well, they will detach when they're ready? Um, can you kind of break down that tree hugger tree thing for me a little bit further? Yeah, sure. so, so for instance, if Lola would have kept up with our, our oldest, if she would have kept up with the same, the same want and need for Jana to the point where she did not uh, uh-huh. at uh-huh. all. Uh, yeah. And she didn't open up to anybody outside of maybe like uh-huh. Mimi, me and Jana. Uh-huh. Uh, is, is that healthy? Is it unhealthy? Uh-huh. Is that too extreme? You know, at what point should we be like, okay, kids five, kids six, kids four. Uh, yeah. Why aren't they trusting type of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, just having that time between you and Jana and letting her see that, you know, you're a trusted, safe, enjoyable person and letting, you know, her see that mom feels comfortable and happy around you. And this is your family and we do things together and, and, you know, we enjoy and love each other. It, you know, should naturally kind of flow, even if it's at a slower timeline than maybe you would expect or you would like, you know, that's her and that's her comfort level and her timeline. So um, I don't really see her shunning you (laughs) into adulthood, you know, but um, if, you know, if it's important and, and there's something you need to do, you know, like, Jana needs to go to the bathroom right now. Like, I'm going to pass you to dad. This is dad. You know, dad, like I love dad and I trust dad to hold you while I'm in the bathroom because I need to go to the bathroom. So that's Mm -hmm. real and it's authentic and it's true. And, um, you know, I'll be right back and then you're right back and everything's still fine. So just kind of working through, you know, small, authentic steps. Yeah. 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 So, so what if the parent like just needs a little bit of a break? So let's Mm say... Let's say our ledger ends up being extremely, extremely clingy, and he won't he won't go play with anybody uh, that the girls are playing with, any friends, any anything. Is is there a point where we're like, dude, like go go socialize, enjoy your life? I'm just hitting an extreme, yeah. just just to yeah. see if there's anybody out there who's like, yeah, my kid won't do that. Yeah. Uh, so we typically don't force them to go do the social thing until they're ready. In my live classes, we let the children, you know, sit on their parents' lap and observe the class for as many sessions as they need to without the parent pushing at all until they feel that they're ready to join. Some kids are just slower to warm up to the social scene than others. And we just really want to hit home on that parent-child relationship and let the parent know that I'm right here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm steadfast. I support you if you're slow to warm up, if you're quick. Like, I'm your anchor, and I support your timeline for you as an individual. What's interesting is going back just a second to thinking about what you were talking about with our oldest being super clingy to mom. Mm -hmm. And Chris and I have been super vocal about this on our podcast, how our first couple years of marriage were tough. And it seems Mm -hmm. like with each kid we've gotten, we've we're closer now than we've ever been. And it, and I don't know, do you realize I'm thinking this through now each kid has gotten less, clingy to just me and been more comfortable. That's true. You know what I mean? Cause she was saying like, if you, if, if the baby sees mom and dad love each other and they have a close relationship, that's true. Yeah. I think each of our kids has been more comfortable because we've gotten closer. Uh-huh. Yeah. May- maybe the more involved and you've been more involved. Is, yeah. The more involved the kid wants to be. Yeah. Just a little uh-huh. light bulb moment there. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. huge. That's a big one. <laughs> um, this- of- oh yeah. There's your light. 
Um, I had a quote I wanted to share. It reminded me of something that you mentioned, Jonna. It's from uh, Nadine Thornhill. And she says, it isn't your job to, no, it isn't. Sorry, let me rephrase that. So here's a quote I wanted to share from Nadine Thornhill. It says, it isn't your child's job to make themselves uncomfortable so other people won't be. So you can think Mm. about that kind of with those other family members or the grocery store, you know, um, Mm. they want to touch them or hug them or squeeze them. And that's what they're used to. And that's what they want to do. But we shouldn't feel we have to put our child in an uncomfortable spot in order to please people pleaser. Um, Those Mm. other people out there, right? So your loyalty should be towards your child in order to have that strong parent-child relationship Mm. versus the masses around who all have their own agendas, what they think Mm -hmm should or shouldn't mm-hmm. do. Yeah, yeah, that's good. One more thing I'd like to ask, and this could probably be a separate podcast, but <laughs> what I'd like to ask is this. So I see I see the opportunity cost in us not being vigilant about this. I do. I see I see how easy it is for our kids to not be comfortable. I even see mm-hmm. steps ahead being like, you know, if our girls know how they're supposed to be touched, then mm-hmm. they won't let that happen later on in life. Mm-hmm. even with guys who are mm-hmm. overly aggressive and being selfish yeah. and stuff like that. One thing I am a little concerned about that I'd be interested for you to speak to is this. It's we look at we look at the world and what it is to to try to be successful and how we have to flex the muscle of being uncomfortable all the time. Mm-hmm. We have to put ourselves out there on social media. We have to we have to be in physical places with people networking. At least it was like that. Hopefully, hopefully it'll go back to that. Uh, so we have to be in physical places networking with people. We have to be in uncomfortable situations. We have mm-hmm. to flex that muscle at some level. So uh, is, is there a balance to say like, oh boy, like, okay, so so what level of uncomfortable does our kid need to see in order to adapt with society and actually be like something? Okay. Um, Loaded question, I know. Okay. <laughs> so teaching your child that it's okay, you know, to be uncomfortable, to grow and strive and flourish yeah, in society. Yeah, definitely. Is that? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, think that that definitely comes and you can see that uh, in play in so many other areas of life. Maybe, you know, they're frustrated building this Lego tower or maybe, you know, they didn't get chosen for that school's team or maybe, you know, it's their siblings turn to get the big thing that they wanted that time. So there's lots of other areas of life where we're going to be presented with discomfort and frustration and, you know, not getting what we want and having to have resiliency and innovation, things like that. So I don't think that, you know, being safe and learning what's appropriate in regards to sexuality has to be one of those. Okay. Hmm. So you're saying respectful parenting, this doesn't necessarily mean they get to lead the way in every, is that what you're saying? Like you're worried that this means we never do anything that they don't want to do until they're ready to do. Yeah. So for Uh instance, let's just even take a sports example. So if, if you are a good athlete and, and you are going to excel, like there's no such thing as being at football practice and being kind of tired. I'm like, coach, I'm a little uncomfortable. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Like you got to push through that. That's where true change and adaptation happens in our lives in every area. And and so my, my only fear would be, like I said, I see the opportunity cost of not being vigilant, but Uh my only fear would be, um, 
and this is on the side of like, okay, we don't want to be snowflakes here is Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like our kids do have to face really tough things in life. And, and like I said, they're going to have to walk into a networking event. They're gonna have to shake hands and rub elbows and actually, and actually physically engage with people. And if they've never been in some sort of a place uh, where it's a bit challenging and I don't know Mm -hmm. what that would be, um, I guess my only fear would be what's, what's, what's the threshold. I think, I think I hear what, what you're saying is from like a, a touch perspective from like a, right. um, a compliance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. You were just talking yeah. about respectful parenting on the whole, not necessarily the consent with the physical touch. Maybe that's where I, I missed what you were saying there. But, um, I think that in our family structure, kind of like we were talking about with the kids running around naked, like there are going to be hard lines at some point where they'll have to do something that they don't want to do. Like they will have to put their clothes on when the visitors are there, if that's a rule for your family. So they won't be able to just take over your whole family and do whatever they want on their own timeline. Like they will need to have their nap time when it's their nap time. And, you know, they will have to eat something at some point it's up to your family what choices you give around mealtime but they will have to eat some food at some point right so there are a lot of um boundaries and and discomforts in place in our life that they might not be on board with that they'll have to mesh with uh just to be a participating member of your family (laughs) in the world and then Mm -hmm. at sports and at school and and they'll learn that the coach and the teacher and grandma have different expectations and a different relationship dynamic between my parents and me. And so one thing that goes back to is if you can focus on that strength between the relationship of the parent and the child, that will give you these strong lines of communication to take you through into those later years if something in those other relationships is amiss. So if you can focus on that strength and that quality um, of your relationship with the child, then maybe the coach, you know, will say too bad, get back out there. Like, it doesn't matter if you're tired and like, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or go home, you know, they'll have a different boundary. That's fine. Like we can't control that. But if the coach says, you know, come, come back to my office for a little bit after practice by yourself, and, right. you know, take your shirt off, like you'll have that communication with them that they'll be able yeah. to say, I did something that I wasn't comfortable with, or the coach asked me to do this, you know, something, mm-hmm. uh, does that kind of help? Yeah. So yeah. you're saying mom and dad set the standard. Basically, we're teaching them. Yeah. Yeah. You're teaching the them what you want. And, you know, that will look different for each family. But if open communication regarding uncomfortable topics is important to you in your family, you have the opportunity from a young age to do these small steps to set you up for that as they get older. It's good. That's good stuff. Okay. I like it. You, you know, I came in as uh, a little bit of a skeptic, like, okay, this seems a little soft. I'm not going to lie. And then I'm just being honest. And, and, and then you sold me on a lot of this, which is, uh, which, which is really cool because I think what we did such a good job of Danielle is, is, is breaking down the why behind these things and, and helping us Mm -hmm. see the vision steps and steps, steps and steps ahead, knowing uh, that, this stuff does matter in the long run. And ultimately it's yeah. going to protect our children, which yeah. I think every parent could give an emphatic. Yes. I would like to protect my children. Yes. And then, and then <laughs> I, I think what you brought home really nicely at the end was 
I was asking, how can we physically put them out of their comfort zone? I think mm-hmm. uh, because because there are things that they're physically going to have to be demanded of. Like mm-hmm. I will say, there's an individual in my life who is incapable of being uncomfortable because she she he was cuddled for so long that they have no idea how to be uncomfortable and it's like whoa hold the phone and so we we want to avoid that and i think you're right once we develop that trust with them we can Mm -hmm. then push them into those things uh appropriately Mm -hmm. and naming that too chris will be huge you know like oh you're you're uncomfortable with this like your sister got that thing that you really wanted and that makes you uncomfortable you know and just kind of letting them know you're experiencing discomfort right now. This is what it feels like. Like how can we work through it and understand mm-hmm. it? So validating. Yeah. That's another thing we were reading about recently, validating the kids and their feelings. Yeah. Even if, even if what I remember one time, Chris was so frustrated. He's like, Oh, they're crying over a yellow cup and it just doesn't matter. And, and we learned we're like, Hey, but in their world, a right. yellow cup or the color cup mm-hmm. that they have is, that's really all they have to stress about. But in so, all fairness, yeah. if you don't have, if you don't have kids yet, don't get multicolored. Don't get multicolored. Cups cups everybody gets the bold. same color. <laughs> Fun yeah. tip for you. Let, let's just be real. Make everything gray. Don't even teach them colors. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, basically, can I just say one last point to kind of yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just going back to what I've been talking about, that big picture of this whole thing is that you know we keep hearing in the news that there's entire teens of, you know, high school girls or, you know, wrestling boys that are being sexually assaulted for months and months before it's brought to light. And it just takes you a second to think about, you know, why is this happening? And is it because these girls are conditioned at a young age to take unsolicited affection from adults and authority figures? Like it could be, that could be part of it. Or, Do they not have a strong enough sense of ownership and boundaries about their own bodies to stay no or to try to stop the assaults? You know, maybe. But what's most concerning to me is the disconnect between whatever happened that resulted in them being assaulted multiple times over a long duration was that the communication and the trust and the relationship linked to their parents didn't bridge that gap, right? It's always one girl on a team of 14 who had the trust, the security, and the connection with her parents to tell them what was going on. It was one camper in three years of repetitive assaults with the Brent Lake Camp Counselor. And that was only one child who had the trust and the security and the connection again to tell their parents out of three years. You know, I don't know if it was one child who spent the night with Michael Jackson or one altar boy, but it's always just one. And, and I want mm-hmm. to, to take a second to see, you know, the, the list goes on. And this one child out of eight on a team of wrestlers in Redding, California, which is two and a half hours from where I live, was the only one who spoke up. And Maybe she did or didn't understand what was going on and maybe it directly happened to her or was about to or maybe it was just her friend. We don't know the specifics, but what's important is the strength of the relationship between her and her parents and the ability to keep those difficult lines of communication open. And it really starts from a really young age. And so I want everyone who's listening to this, I want your child to be the one who can identify that something isn't right and come to you to talk about it, whether it's for themselves or their friend or their teammate or their younger sibling. 
I want them to be the one who speaks up and says, you know, something's not right. I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. And and want them to know to the depths of their core that they have the respect of their parents, that their parents will listen and support them in this difficult time. So that's really what is the big picture of this topic that um, I wanted to tie it, tie it home for you for that. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's that's really good stuff, Danielle. I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely on board with a lot of this. And uh, so, as we close here, I would love to uh, I would love for you to tell our listeners just kind of where they can find out more about you and uh, all the things. Yeah, great. So you can find my website is the HAP method. It's H-A-P. It stands for honor, authenticity, and purpose. Those are the three foundational qualities that I believe in growing in your parenting. So the HAPmethod.com. I have a few uh, mini courses in regards to managing your children's meltdowns um, in the moment in a mindful and respectful way. And then I also have a larger monthly program that you can sign up to receive ongoing content from me, as well as leading early childhood experts in regards to education and development for your children under five. They uh, contribute exclusive content to the HAT method. We have a sleep coach, a feeding specialist. We have an infant massage person coming on. We have someone talking about how our conversations, um, the way that we speak about money in front of children impacts their mindset about money. Uh, A bunch of really great topics there. It's kind of a fun, exciting thing Mm -hmm. to be part of. So that's what we have right now. And we also have a free Facebook group. Uh, it's called Patient Connected Mamas, but dads can join too. We have a few dads in there. And we're going to share content, connect with each other, and I do lives um, about little topics here and there um, once in a while. So, yeah. I love that. Sorry. I was writing and trying to keep the baby from yanking the microphone yep. down. He he decided to make a, a guest visit here real fast. Yeah, great. <laughs> this is Ledger. Oh, Ledger. Kind of yeah. <laughs> oh boy, he's 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 going for the mic. Yeah, he's giant. Yeah. All right, so we will uh, we will wrap things up before he jumps off this desk. Thank you guys so much That's, for yeah. having me. Really appreciate it. And thanks for taking yes. the time. Thank you thanks so much, fun. Daniel. Great. Thanks so much for listening to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. As usual, if this brought you value, go ahead and share it with another parent. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and send us a text, 513-620-4333. Thanks, guys.